Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Wellfar, the weekly running podcast that will be by your side as you train for 26.2. It's hosted by me, Amy Hopkinson. By day, I'm Women's Health Digital Editor, but when not in the office, I'm a marathon runner too. So this year, with the race on the horizon, I'm here to help with blisters and bruises, runners highs and lows, what to eat before Sunday run day, and how the heck you refuel after. There is so much advice in this week's podcast, so keep listening because I have some great tips and tricks coming up for you. Welcome back to Welfare, everyone. It's that time of the week again. I can't believe there is only two more episodes left after this one, which means I am two weeks off Paris Marathon. Wow, what a journey it's been getting here. It's actually a journey I've come to love to hate because despite all the blisters, sweat and bruised toenails, it's been 12 weeks of hustling hard and proving to myself what I'm capable of when I try. And actually, hustling hard is the theme of this week's episode. Early this week, I caught up with Adrian Herbert, who you guys will probably recognise as the host of the Power Hour podcast and also Adrian LDN on Instagram. She asked me how I got my job at Women's Health. And so I kind of told her this story. After finding out that the application process for my job was closed really and that they were kind of through the first round of interviews I decided that I had to go above and beyond to really get noticed during the process. I turned up to my interview with the editor at the time with a MacBook fully loaded with a presentation. They really wasn't expecting this by the look on their face but after me explaining what I'd done Um, The editor at the time, plus a few other people that were in the room, sat there and they let me go through a whole presentation and strategy on how I was going to get millions of women talking about and engaging with health online and what I thought the future of wellness held. It's something which I actually discuss more on Adrian's podcast. But the reason I'm sharing that is because that day I had to leave my ego at the door and I just... (sighs) I just had to forget what other people thought of me and just had to do what felt right in my heart. And that was to kind of go in and show exactly my skills and how hard I'd worked to get to that point and what I could do. So it wasn't luck that got me my job. It didn't just happen. It was that day when I showed up and I tried my best and I gave it everything. And it's this mindset which does drive my training and it's something which I actually talked to Adrian about in our run chat at the end of this podcast because 
A few years ago, uh, sadly, a freak medical emergency changed her marriage and her outlook on life forever. So please do listen to the end and hear why she is such a beacon of positivity and how she bounces back from injury and how she approaches races these days and how she hustles for success both in fitness and life. I also head into the studio to hear from another inspirational female called Camilla Langlands. So Camilla came onto my radar because she is an official marathon pacer, but she also owns the Guinness World of Records for running more than 100 marathons as a mother-daughter duo, and she's run more races solo too. So essentially, she's forever chasing a goal and doing her best to make it happen for herself and others. So I can't wait for you to hear her race day advice so you too can tow the start line confident and ready to run. But I know, perhaps, confidence and feeling ready to run maybe isn't what everyone's feeling right now given the dms that i keep getting so take a moment to listen to this episode and let it kind of just settle in and hopefully soothe any pre-race nerves that may be building and worries that you haven't done enough training because believe me it's not just you having those thoughts so if anything i really do hope today's show acts like a little voice in your ear whispering you've got this because you really have. And if something happens on the day and you haven't, just remember that safety is only ever a few steps to the left or right. The race course really isn't that wide, so you will be able to make it to the side and you can stop at any moment because nobody cares about what you're doing. They only care what they're doing. So if you keep one thing in mind, please let it be this, run your own race and remember why you signed up. And actually, that leads me nicely on to this week's shout out. It goes to you, Katie Fitzpatrick, for your post about grinning and bearing it through your long run and not letting a wobble at 11 miles stop you from completing your full 19. Your post about raising money for Brain Research UK so other people don't have to suffer the loss that your family has gone through really hit home with me. It was because you're using your health to do something positive for others and so... Thank you for doing that and thank you for sharing and I wish you all the luck in your marathon training and if everybody here fancies checking out Katie's Instagram so that you can hear about her marathon training and perhaps give to Brain Research UK, she is Katie's Marathon page on Instagram. Right then, I feel like that was a lot from me and there is a lot to get through this week. So I am going to say goodbye for now. Let's get on with this show. Please do share your journey with hashtag wellfar, rate and review us on all of the podcasting platforms and I will catch up with you guys next week if not before on social media. See you later. With your training now on track, it's time to talk about race day and I couldn't think of someone more skilled in this area than Camilla Langlands. She is one half of the mother and daughter duo who over the past five years have run over 100 marathons together. Wow. We're here today to talk race day strategy and tactics so that 26.2, which is now looming, is a little bit less stressful and a bit more enjoyable. Welcome, Camilla. Hi there. You have a bit of a marathon CV, don't you? How many marathons have you run? So I have run to date 148 marathons. What? And (laughs) travel to um, Arizona next week to run my 149th. 
And how many years is that over? Um, so I actually ran London. That was my first marathon in 2013. So seven years-ish. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm not even going to do the maths, but that is a lot of marathons a year. And I've heard a little birdie's told me that you run with your mum as well. Yep. So uh, mum was the one who kicked off the running. Um, she started running through Park Run when she was 58 years old. She's now uh, recently turned 65 and has run 189 marathons, I believe. <gasps> you also, so you pace marathons. Yeah. And how many marathons have you paced to date? I think roughly around 17 or 18. They've all been in the UK. Uh, or we've been lucky to be invited this year to Limassol in Cyprus, where we're going to join a male heavy pace team to uh, to become the first two female pacers in that team. So we're, we're looking forward to that as well. If there is a woman which knows about pacing marathons and running marathons, it seems to be you. <laughs> um, I, don't know about, I don't know about pacing my own marathons, but pacing other, other people. people. <laughs> I've got that down, yeah. <laughs> okay, so thinking about the flow of race day, marathon day, is there a pre-race routine that everyone that's listening should be following? Well, I think that through the training, um, if it's for your first marathon um, or if you've done many marathons before, you'll um, you'll probably have established your own routines. If not race routines, then definitely pre-run routines. And what I would say that is, if that has been working for you, then stick with it. Okay. You just need to think of the marathon as exactly like one of your training runs or your long training runs, just a little bit further and with some fantastic support. Maybe that's where I've gone wrong in the past is I've seen the marathon as something totally different. But actually, realistically, it's only been it was probably four miles longer than one of my Sunday run days before. So we used to call the marathon the glory lap. Um, and we used to say that, you know, all of the hard work that you've done in getting to the start line is really what the marathon is about. And actually, the 26 miles that you know, you cover on race day are just a way to celebrate and enjoy that hard work and training that you've put in. So yeah, just think of it, you know, the same as your 21 or 22 mile run that you've done. And I'm pretty sure that the crowd will carry you the the other four miles anyway. So race day, obviously you're issued your clear see-through bag to take with you. What do you personally pack to take with you to a race and what do you check in? Okay, well, I need to start off by saying that if or when you get the um, tube, probably as you will, up to the start, um, if you bump into me on the train, there is nobody who has a clear bag more full than I do. So, <laughs> so it's literally full to the brim and I'm dragging it down the road like a Santa sack and my mum's saying to me, what on earth have you got in there? But They're relatively big bags, but you don't have to fill them. Um, so I would say the main things that you definitely want are a chain of clothes or something warm uh, likelihood is you'll be wearing a lot of that on your way down to the start so obviously that's going to go in but regardless of how warm it is on race day you will definitely cool down very quickly at the end mm. and it can be quite a while before you get to see uh, family and friends just due to the the sheer number of people that are there and where the uh, meeting area is um, so luckily you get your bag back very efficiently just after the finish line and so a set of, of warm clothes is definitely something to think about baby wipes hairbrush if your Ooh. photos are important to you <laughs> 
I always pack flip-flops because, you know, I, I often suffer with blisters and sometimes it's quite nice for me just to take my trainers off. Uh, so you can see gradually how this bag is filling up. <laughs> sometimes a sandwich, it can be a while before you get something to eat. Um, you do also get a really great finishing goodie bag, if you like, where they do give you bits of food and stuff which you can eat. But uh, I quite like to have a sandwich at the end. Um, <laughs> nice. Do you have any tips for runners when they're waiting in a pen for the first time? So London is different to a lot of other races um, in many ways. But one of them is, as, as I mentioned, just the sheer number of people who are taking part, who are spectating, who are involved in uh, volunteering and organising the event. So um, a lot of the processes that might be slightly quicker at other races um, can take a while at London. And, and one of those is that you will find or quite likely to find yourself in the starting pen for a considerable period of time. Mm. So there are a number of things that that can affect. And, you know, it's a long time to stand, particularly if you're feeling a bit nervous, which is, is you know, obviously understandable, uh, to stand sort of thinking your way through your race. Um, so my advice would be to to actually find one of the runner's world pacers. There should be a pacer um, in all of the pens. Uh, you'll be able to see them or us because we'll have big flags that say runner's world on them. Um, and even if you don't intend to run with the pacer... Just go over and say hello. Um, we're all friendly, I think. <laughs> um, and you'll, you generally find that there's kind of a group that gather around the pacer and people start to talk to each other. And it's a nice opportunity to sort of make friends and hear other people's stories, but also just to take your mind off the run, you know, if, if the nerves are maybe getting too much. Yeah, I do remember that moment um, last year. And you're right, I was waiting in that pen for so long. It's got to have been about an hour. But at about 45 minutes in, I turned around and just kind of back and diagonally across, there was a girl that I know. And just then going and chatting to her until yeah. we actually set off. I could feel my heart rate going back down again because up until that point, I'm pretty sure I looked at my watch at one point and it was 130, which is <laughs> my Ready heart rate. Start. Yeah. The other thing I would say, and you know, maybe this is easy on reflection and you know, being maybe more comfortable at these events now, is that you know your day starts from the minute that you wake up, not from the minute that you cross the finish line. And I still envy people that I meet at the beginning of the London Marathon who are running their first marathon because you will never get, you know, a feeling like that back. And when you reflect on it, you reflect on the entire day. So, mm. you know, obviously you are going to be nervous um, and you might be anxious, but, you know, do your best to enjoy all of it would, would be uh, my advice. And the last thing that I would say is about food. Okay. Because the likelihood is that you've set off quite early. Maybe you've eaten before you set off. Maybe you've had it early en route. But it can be two or three hours since you've eaten and you find yourself, you know, stood in a pen. If it's a banana, a cereal bar, I generally now take something down and, you know, in that kind of maybe 45 minutes hour when I'm waiting in the pen, just have a little something to eat as well, because it's going to be a long time again until you get any proper food at the end. But I'm always hungry, so maybe other people don't don't feel the need to, to eat every couple of hours. No, I mean, I hear you. Um, do you generally warm up in a pen? And as a pacer, do you suggest that people warm up in their pen? Or So interestingly, for the blog that um, I write along with my mum, we've um, just written a blog post uh, that we spent some time researching which is looking at the uh, physiology of warming up and you know what it actually does to the body and how beneficial if 
you know, if at all it is. And one of the one of the main things that was concluded or or seemed to be a general consensus was that if your warm up finishes any longer than 20 minutes before you are due to start running your race, then it's not really worth having done. Mm. And worse still, if it's a cold day um, and you've warmed up and then you've had a considerable amount of time to cool down, that it can actually be detrimental. Due to the fact that at London you're likely to be in this pen before running maybe 40 or 50 minutes ahead of of the of the race start you know that theory would suggest that actually warming up is not much use at all that said if you feel more comfortable when you're in the race village going for a little jog uh, as long as it's not too quick or maybe if you could get a group of people in your pen to start a little group aerobics kind of going on you know you just need to do whatever makes you feel most comfortable but I wouldn't stress too much uh, if you don't get an opportunity to to warm up before the start. Right. How close should runners be running to a pacer? If they've if they've kind of got this idea that they want to hit a time goal and somebody said to them, run with a pacer, that, that's going to get you there. How close should you try and run to your pacer? I mean, it's difficult. Again, London's busy. You know, I think one thing that you need to remember is probably that the pacer is a runner themselves. Uh, so they're going to require, you know, a little bit of space because they're also taking on the 262 four mile feet (laughs) themselves but I don't think you ever want to be more than five meters or so away from your pace so that said you know the pace buses can get quite busy they can grow to be sort of six or seven people deep so as long as you're running sort of with that pack I don't think that you should worry too much one thing though we have to say as paces I think is that these groups do build up And, you know, it's the responsibility of us, but also all the other people on that pace bus to be aware of runners who, you know, might be trying to get past um, or who are running their own, you know, race because we can get quite focused on the little group that we've got going on. But as it is so busy, it's important that, you know, everybody has their space to to run their own race. And... um what about people that talk to pacers? <laughs> <laughs> well, you might have gathered already. Um, I'm never short of chat. So I'm happy to run and talk the whole way. I think that, you know, we've taken on a role and a responsibility. And, you know, people always say to me, why do I pace? And I think one of the main reasons is that, you know, I would like to take away some of the nerves and, and anxieties that other people have from running their first races and you know hopefully if they see that you know we can do it then they can do it as well so you know making people feel comfortable and relaxed is important so if people want to talk then that's fine you generally find that there's quite a lot of talking in the first sort of 13 or 15 miles and then the bus gets a bit quiet but that, that's okay as well that's okay as well just taking taking it all in I love the fact it's called a pace bus yeah pace bus I didn't know that yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how official that is but yeah it's weird. but in the, in the pace of circle yeah. it's a pace yeah. bus or you get bus drivers as well as well which I don't know I don't, again I don't know how technical that term is but, but sometimes obviously it's from the offset you you might not be able to get that close to a pacer just because yep. the waves are so big aren't yep. they do you have any tips for running a consistently paced marathon if you're if you're pacing yourself well firstly i would say having a sports watch a gps watch is invaluable i've always had one as a runner but if you were planning to run with one then 
you'd obviously, um, I think, want to try it out in training before just rocking up on race day because they, they take a little bit of getting used to uh, just in terms of the displays. But, you know, you can set those watches to do all sorts of things. In fact, pretty much anything but run the race for you. <laughs> so you can have virtual paces that kind of, if you give it a given pace, it will tell you how far behind or ahead of that pace you are. You can use an average moving pace, which just tells you what speed you're travelling at. And if you've done calculations before to work out what paces you want to be running at, then um, that can work. There are a number of different apps and websites that do kilometre mile conversions. And, you know, you can put in a time you want to finish and it will tell you what pace you need to run. But they do also give out wristbands at the expo, which can be quite useful as well. The only issue is that you will more than likely run further than 26.2 miles. And that's not to alarm anyone, (laughs) (laughs) but that's just to prepare you now. No, as it's so busy and the roads are so wide, you know, you should should assume you're going to run more like 43 kilometres, which is about 26.4 miles. I had a look over previous Strava data this morning of my runs and various other people's and that was kind of the average was somewhere between 42.8 and 3 and you know that can be five six seven minutes added on to your marathon time Uh, so it's definitely better to go out assuming from the beginning that you're going to be covering a longer distance I definitely ran more than 26.2 last year yeah Yeah. definitely (laughs) even going over to get the water bottles I mean the blue line you should be able to see it at times that is officially the quickest way to get to the end but you know that's what Kipchoge's running yeah yeah. in the mass start I don't think that we have the privilege of that line to ourselves so and actually you're so right you do run across the road to get water And water stations. So obviously I've heard of people stopping to walk through them, having some water, then starting again. Other people just grab water and chuck it down as they go. What do you do at a water station? Do you have any tips? I mean, the first thing I would say about the water stations is be careful because there are bottles everywhere. Mm. Um, And unfortunately, they distribute bottles that are quite big and and people don't take on that much fluid so a lot of the bottles are actually you know half full on the floor and they're quite easy to trip up on Um, so firstly definitely be careful of those but I mean I think again it's down to personal preference like you said I struggle still to run and drink at the same time so if I'm running my own marathon I normally walk through the aid stations whilst I drink but I know that some people prefer not to stop at all, in which case they'd rather maybe slow the pace down a little bit and keep moving. But again, it's something that you might want to try out on um, training runs. But if you were planning to maybe stop and walk through them, that's definitely something if you haven't previously, I would suggest trying just so that you're familiar with, you know, getting started again, even though it's only sort of 10 metres, perhaps. I think it's an important thing to have practised. That's actually a really good point about water stations with regards to pacing, actually, because if you are slowing right down to a walk and you're doing that for say 10 20 meters or whatever and then picking back up um, you are obviously going to slow your time down so maybe it's something which people need to be aware of so that they don't start freaking out 13 miles into a race that they're running two minutes slower 
Yeah, I mean, I would not panic. Um, you know, again, if if for some reason you lose uh, sort of 30 seconds, a minute somewhere, don't try desperately to grab it all back at once. You know, just be aware that perhaps you've lost it wherever you have and remember that you've probably still got, you know, a long way to go. And, you, you know, you can just perhaps start taking that back in five seconds here and there, which you won't feel. Um, there is also a function uh, on a lot of the watches, the Garmin watches, etc., that you can set the watch um, so it will display your average pace, which tells you what the average pace is you've been running up until that point. So whilst you've got your, your moving pace... Uh, which can vary quite a lot at things like aid stations and perhaps when you're taking on fuel. The average pace just tells you what you're doing um, overall. And actually, I've found that it's been quite useful recently just to focus more on that. And it stops you from checking your watch too often. I've heard that there's a theory of putting time in the bank during the first (laughs) 13 miles of a race. What do you feel about this? Okay, so officially, I have to say don't do it (laughs) because... The first marathon that I ran for myself that I paced evenly was the last one, which was my 148th marathon. And I ran an even pace from the very beginning and ran three and a half minutes quicker than I've run before. I am pretty certain that if you do uh, any research into the history of the marathon and you look at some of the more elite Uh, runs you'll see that they've been run pretty evenly as well that said the pacers do um, often maybe pace the first half a minute or two faster uh, which allows for a very gradual fade in the second half but they're doing that with quite a lot of experience um, and they're building it in gradually over the 13 miles so I wouldn't recommend anybody doing that personally. But if you are running with a pacer and you think that they're running a little bit quicker in the first half, that's probably what they're doing. Don't be alarmed. They definitely know what they're doing. Um, And if you stick with them, they will get you to the end as evenly paced as, as they can. Amazing. And my one last question for you is if you could give runners this year one piece of advice what would it be? So there's a quote that my mum always uses, which is, this too shall pass. And she always says, or always said to me, not just in running, but in life in general, but let's let's put it into a running context, that if you are feeling grim or you've you know hit the wall or you've hit a bad patch, it will end. And hopefully that will be before the end of the race. And quite often, if you just sort of stay calm and work with it, um, you'll find that it will pick up again. But also that good things come to an end too and will pass. So just enjoy every single minute of it that you can. Love that. (laughs) And for everyone that's listening in that wants to follow your epic running journey, because I know that you're currently, you've taken some time off to do a load more races and a load more challenges this year. Busy year. year. Massive year. How How many races are you doing? Do you know? I think we've got at least... 15 marathon or ultra marathon distances planned in some very exciting places around the world. So we're looking wow. forward to that. And where where's the best place for people to see all of this? On our blog, which is called This Is How We Run, which is just www.thisishowwerun.com. 
we'd like to hear from anyone and if anyone thinks there's anything we can help them with please get in touch Brilliant. Thank you so much for your wealth of advice and knowledge and for helping us all get through the 26.2. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So guys, I have just met up with Adrian Herbert. She is the PT Adidas ambassador, founder of Power Hour podcast. and woman with big hair but an even bigger personality who's been in my life for a number of years and is now today's Run Chat guest. Yes, thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for coming and meeting me on this really grey Friday to go for a run and a chat. And so, where did your fitness career all begin? Gosh, so, I have always been active my whole life. You know, I've always been active. I loved when I was growing up. I was that person who, I did netball, I did athletics club, I did dancing, just moving. I've got a lot of energy. I can't be sitting still for too long. So got to a bit of a crossroads when I was finishing my GCSEs and it was like you could either audition for drama school and dance school and move to London and go to a dance college or you can stay. I was at school in Leeds and yeah, maybe go to athletics and pursue that. So one meant staying at home and one meant moving to London. So obviously, as soon as I auditioned for a a dance college and I got a place, I was packing my bags. I was like, I'm moving to London. (laughs) So moved to London and I was 16. I went to a three-year dance and drama school. And then when I graduated, I got an agent and I went into musical theatre. Did a show in the West End. And yeah, I was a dancer for about four years professionally. And then got married. And then life is very unpredictable. And, you know, things come out of nowhere and unfortunately my husband became really ill when I was pregnant with Jude he had a spontaneous brain hemorrhage and basically it was out of nowhere people always ask me they're like oh well what caused it or you know whatever we never found out really what caused it he was 29 years old really healthy doesn't smoke doesn't drink and he was actually training for the London Marathon at the time so he'd been out running that day he was yeah literally a picture of health 29 year old PE teacher And then we went to bed and he had a seizure and we went to hospital and from that point on, you know, our whole life changed. And as well as that, at that time I was pregnant with Jude. (laughs) So, you know, definitely a life-changing year. And I think it just kind of 
put the brakes on and made us reassess, you know, as it would life and just how we were living and what we wanted to do. And So did exercise help you deal with that? Well, it certainly wasn't immediate. I didn't exercise probably for maybe six months. But after that, it was summer and I felt like it was just one day. She was like, oh, I'm just going to go outside. I need to get out of the house, get some fresh air and just kind of get out of my head a bit. So I just went out and I ran for about 15 minutes, maybe. And it was so hard. I literally was like, I can't breathe. I'm like, I just, it was so hard. But at the same time, came home and was like, oh, that was good. Like that was 15 minutes out of, like I said, out of the house, out of my head. And I just kept doing it. I kept thinking, right, I'm going to go. And at that time, you know, when you become a new mum, anyone who's got young kids will relate that you suddenly don't have any time to yourself ever. And although it's wonderful and all the rest of it, it's a big change. It's a big shock. And when I was out running, even though it was just 15 minutes, I was on my own and I could be selfish. I could just, you know what I mean? Like no one needed me. No one, you know, yeah, yeah, started. It was quite a solitary thing for me. And although it sounds quite negative, it did eventually become very positive. You know, I started to meet other runners, join like different running communities, entered races and started to see that so many people run all for different reasons, you know, different ages, shapes, sizes, abilities. And everyone's so encouraging and welcoming. Like, you know, when you go to watch a race or when you're in a race, if it's a park run or a cancer research or a marathon, whatever it is, there's people there who don't even know you, smiling at you, clapping, cheering you on, going, well done, you're amazing. And it's like, when do strangers do that for one another? Running just brings out the best in people. And I think for me, when I'm not running, if I go to watch a race and I cheer, you know, I get like tears in my eyes because I watch people and I'll see their name on their bib and I don't know them, but I'm like, come on, Dave, you can do it. And like, obviously you see people's different charity vests or you see why they're running. And when I did actually um, run my first marathon, which was London, I ran to raise money for epilepsy research. And, you know, there was a part of me that thought it was difficult because Rob has never been able to run the marathon. And like I said, he was training. So he had to stop running since... Well, for a long time, he did have to, yeah. Luckily, he's running again now. But for a long time, he wasn't able to. And I think I had more fear and anxiety than him. He'd be like, I'm fine, I can go for a run. Has that ever been difficult within your relationship? So he's had to... He sounds like he was very active before it all happened. And then there was potentially perhaps a time when he wasn't. But yet you were getting more and more active. He's always been supportive. But I think, yeah, there was definitely times when he probably felt frustrated. So with the London Marathon, for example, I said, right, I'm not a distance runner, Amy, I've got to tell you. And I got when I got offered the place with Adidas, I said to them, yes, I'll do it. Amazing. And then I went home and went, oh, my gosh, what did you just say yes to? You can't run a marathon. The longest run I'd ever done at that point was eight miles. See, that's really interesting because obviously there is this perception that I think that fitness influencers could do anything. Yeah, for sure. And but the thing yet, is, you were having panic. Yeah, because it's so specific, you know. Growing up, like I said, I did athletics, but I was a sprinter. There's nothing about endurance that I'd kind of tried and prepared for. So I said yes. And then, as I said, I knew that Rob never got to run his place. So he deferred it and then couldn't do it. So I said, right, I'll run for epilepsy research. I knew that he'd be cheering me on all the way through the training and on the day. He was there with Jude. So when I saw them at mile 12, he was on Rob's shoulders and he was, honestly, I've got this video. It actually made me cry where they're filming and obviously they see me running and I'm with AJ, my friend AJ, and we're running towards them. 
And then as we run off, because obviously you see them, you see your family, and you're like, woo, off you go, after they've wasted like an hour just to see you for five seconds. And then as I run off, you can hear Jude waving going, that's my mummy. <laughs> and I just thought, oh my gosh, you know, as I said, anyone who's been to a race or run a race like that, there's so many different reasons for people to run. And it just, oh, I just love it. Did you feel a pressure to get a certain time? You know what? I didn't actually then because, like I said, I just thought I've never even done a marathon before. So yeah. the fact that I'm even going to get to the finish line was my goal. All I thought about was when I've done this race, I'll be able to say I've run a marathon. Like what an achievement. As long as I get to that finish line, I don't care about the times. But it's interesting because other people cared about your they time. They cared. Yeah. People would ask me, they'd find out that I was doing the marathon and straight away they'd go, oh, what time are you aiming for? Oh, what are your splits like? Oh, what's your half marathon PB? And I was like, I've never done a half marathon, so I don't know. <laughs> and I loved that every single time I went out, it was a new PB, it was a new distance, it was a new challenge. The first time I ever ran 16 miles. I came in my front door, my hips were hurting that day actually, to be it was really cold and it was raining. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, you'd have 10 more miles to go. But I also thought, you just ran 16 miles on your own. That gave me confidence to think, if I can do that, maybe I can actually do this marathon. It's that positive self-talk, isn't it? That I think maybe we don't do enough of, mm -hmm. but actually we could really benefit from. Definitely, and that's what I always say to clients, because it's funny when I've worked with clients since I got into running, obviously you just want to spread that running love because you're like, oh, you should run. And people look at me, they're like, no, I can't even run for five minutes. And then after six months, I've trained them and they do a, a 5K and their kids are there at the finish line in the pushchair with the dads and they're all waving and cheering. And you're like, you see, you didn't think you could do it and you did. So what else do you think in your life that you can't do that you can? Look at what you can do. One foot in front of the other, step by step. If you can do that, like I said, maybe you can put yourself up for that job promotion. Maybe you can write that book proposal. Maybe you can whatever. You can do a lot more than you think you can. Which I love. <laughs> and we should definitely all be going through goals. But I think what's really interesting about you and your running story is the fact that whilst it started off quite successful, there's been times when it hasn't been, right? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, last year, Berlin. So, ran London. That was great, like you said, successful marathon. And yeah, it was a great experience. I loved it. I did say though when I crossed the line, never doing that again. I did say those words, but of course, you know, you forget. And after a few more half marathons, I was like, right, the opportunity came to do Berlin marathon. So I got back into marathon training mode and I was listening to different podcasts. I was like, I was actively trying to immerse myself into it so that I wouldn't, yeah, just get as much information and knowledge as I could. So anyway, training was going great. I was running faster, further. I was enjoying it more. I just loved it. And then, dum 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 went on holiday went to mexico and it was so hot there i couldn't really train by 6 a.m it was like in the 30s wow so i couldn't really train but i thought you know what it's fine i have a week off and i was running up and down the beach on the sand with bare feet with jude and we were doing little races and stuff i didn't think anything of it then we came back off holiday and i thought right i'm gonna go out and do one more long run so i laced up i did 18 miles and I felt great. It was like I said, I was running faster, I was fitter, I was stronger, I was rested. And I was like, this is going to be amazing. I could get a PB. Anyway, ran the 18 miles. Next day, woke up, stepped out of bed. My right foot hurt a lot. So I thought I'll probably be all right in a minute, you know, just woken up. Yeah. But it didn't go away. So the next couple of days, 
it was so painful like the sole of my right foot on the outside all the way along and it felt like I couldn't even like put a trainer on it was so sore so I went to see physio and he said oh yeah this tendon's really inflamed right down from like your ankle bone right down to your little toe and he said oh what have you done differently I said nothing I said last week I had a week off I was in Mexico I was on holiday I said oh I did wear different trainers and I wore flip-flops but you know I didn't do anything different I said the only time I ran was on the beach and he said apparently when you run barefoot obviously on sand your muscles have to adapt slightly you know like your stabilizers your yeah. ankles everything's working double time but he said for whatever reason something's not happy and it's really inflamed so at this point it was 10 days until the race and I trained for four months that must have been really hard mentally. I was gutted and I said to him, look, I'm going to Berlin. I said, I've, I've booked my flights, I've got my, you know, I said, I'm going. And also, you know, I'd actually been given the place through Adidas and there was this whole weekend happening there with the Adidas runners. And I was doing a talk the day before, a motivational speech to the runners. So I'm thinking, there no way I'm dropping out. Silly mistake. So he was like, we, whew. you know, he said, you'll be, you'll be lucky to run on that foot in 10 days for a 10K let alone a marathon but he said you know if you're determined to do it he said just rest now don't do any miles 10 days before a race you want to be doing your shakeout miles you want to be doing your whatever you're doing but he said to me complete rest no running just sit put your feet up so I went I okay I can imagine that must have been quite hard for you it was so hard but also I was panicking because I was thinking if I don't run for 10 days I just was panicking but I just thought you know what and that's coming from a PT as well yes <laughs> but I just thought you know what I've trained for four months your body doesn't just forget in 10 days you're going to be fine you're just going to have to do your best and my thing as well is that I never reward myself or other people for the success and what I mean by that is like the medal or the the time or whatever I reward myself for the willingness to show up and to try because so many people would never even lace up their shoes and stand at the start line of a marathon because it's scary and it's hard work so the fact that you're even willing to do that is where I'm like yes that's it so for me I was like I've got to live that I've got to just try so that's what I did went out to Berlin in the morning I had pain in my foot and I took some painkillers and I went to the start line and I felt nervous and I just thought let's just do your best got to mile six the pain's getting worse got to mile 10 I guess I was trying not to put weight on my heel of my right foot so I'm trying to run like I'm trying to show you on my toes <laughs> of my right foot and as soon as you start to twist and contort your body obviously things go wrong so your calf starts to cramp and everything just goes to pot but I carried on and I put on, then I got my headphones out and I put on some music, block out the pain, which is the most ridiculous thing. As a personal trainer, when would you ever say to someone, just turn up your music and block out the pain? <laughs> your body's injured, you need to listen. But I soldiered on and then I saw the sign that said 25K and I had this split second of thinking, you can finish this race. And then straight away after I was like, hell no. Like it was so painful. I couldn't even put my foot down. So I limped over to the side of the road and as I stood at the side it was like this sea of people bounding past me and I just started to cry. I was just stood there like watching them just being like no. Also one thing I'd say is I actually felt really embarrassed and I was like oh no like because obviously in the morning you'd be, I'd been to the Adidas race village, everyone's you know social media good luck with your race, yeah. you know you're gonna smash it and then you're sitting there thinking people are gonna be messaging me in about half an hour going how did it go? send us a picture and I was like I'm sitting with a little foil thing on me 
feeling very sorry for myself and I smell, I was so sweaty. And then I just basically was like, hang on, this is not what this is about. Like, why, how have you got to this point? Like, you are not about this. You don't even care about smashing the time or why have you, yeah, like let your mind even go there. And that's when I did like a social post. I think I just did an Instagram story that was like, hey guys, I'm out of the race. I'm not gonna feel embarrassed or, or whatever. I turned up today, I laced up, I did my best and it wasn't my, my day, you know? And I just thought, you know what? At least I'm fine, you know, like it sounds silly, but running a marathon, as I said, is a challenge. Some people, unfortunately, you know, have real problems. You know, they drop down and have a heart attack or, you know, worse things. So I just thought, you know what? I'm flying home tomorrow. Yes, I've got rice in my foot for a couple of weeks. I'm not gonna be running for a while. So what? There'll be more races, there'll be more opportunities and you, le you learn a lesson, you know? And I'll never make that mistake ever again. <laughs> I was gonna say, so has that like changed how you train these days? Because obviously you've gone on to run loads more races. You recently just ran Paris Half Marathon. Yeah. You know what? I don't think it has really changed much because it was just one of those things. It wasn't like, oh, you know, you overtrained or you didn't do this or you didn't respect your body. And yeah, I don't think it's changed much about my approach, but what it has changed is that if I ever got injured again, yeah. regardless of how long I've been training for the race or whatever, I would know to pull out. I wouldn't go to the start line injured. I think that's just a recipe for disaster. And I'm actually lucky that I didn't come off worse, you know? Yeah. So fitness is very much what you're known for. Yeah. But it's not the only thing. Mm -hmm. As you said, you like to do a lot of motivational talks and coaching, and now you've got the Power Hour podcast. Yes, I have. Is that because you just needed to be challenged a bit more mentally or where did the power hour all come from? Well, a couple of things really. I think the story that I shared with you about what happened to my husband, yeah. that definitely did change my life. And I think, you know, whenever people meet me or spend time with me and they do ask me that question, oh, you're so optimistic or how come you're always in a good mood or whatever. I think I always, it always comes back to that. Like I know that, like I said, when things are bad, all you want is for your life to just be simple and normal. So then when your life is simple and normal or goes back to whatever normal is for you, I then just appreciate it so much more. And so in a way I want that for others. Like I want other people to be like, come on, like not everyone's gonna go through like a near death experience or not everyone's gonna, you know, have that moment where they go, wow, we've only got one life actually. And just because you're healthy and young, anything can change at any moment. I've gotta be honest, for a while that scared me. That made me so afraid. Cause I just thought, wow, like, Anything can happen to you, that's awful. But then, over time, that became excitement for life and I just thought, you know what? You can't control anything. Anything could happen, so don't waste it. Don't waste your life, don't waste your time. So that's one reason I think I live with a sense of urgency. And I talk about that a lot and when I do motivational talks. And then the power hour thing, it evolved because when I started training for London, I started getting up earlier to do my runs before I was taking Jude to school. and. I'm not trying to say, oh, if I can do it, anybody can. But what I was trying to say is that if you want to do it, why not try getting up a bit earlier and cultivating a bit of time in the morning to do the stuff you actually want to do with your life? Like, reclaim your own time. Why are we all saying we don't have time, we don't have time? There's 162 hours in a week. We have time, but we just need to reclaim it. So that's why the Power Hour podcast started. It's all about encouragement, getting up early, different guests that come on the show, I ask them about their morning routines and what they do when they wake up. And everyone's is so different. 
So it's been really interesting to hear, yeah, from different people like Olympic athletes or TV presenters or what do they do when they first wake up in the morning. And what is the first thing you do when you wake up? So when I wake up, I tiptoe out of my room because I don't want to wake up Jude or Rob and I wash my face with cold water um, and then I go downstairs and it's either put on my run kit if I'm running that day, tiptoe out the house or I have like my productivity hour so I sometimes just plough through emails, I might send invoices, I might edit a blog, I'll do whatever I need to do because there's no distractions at that time. It's like a magic hour where I get more done, I probably get about three hours of work done in one hour because no one else is awake so no one's sending me whatsapps, no one's sending me emails, June's not awake and then yeah by the time he gets up and we have breakfast and I take him to school, I feel like I'm already like a little bit ahead of the day um, before I get back at nine. And then it's school run. Then it's school run and then breakfast. So that's the thing, I don't actually eat my breakfast till after the school run. So I get up at like usually about five or half five and I don't eat my breakfast till 9.30. But that's just what works for me. Cool. So I've got time for one more last question as we yes. catch our breath outside of Women's Health HQ. What do you think is the one thing that's made the biggest difference to your running? Without a doubt, I can confidently say the thing that has made the biggest difference to my running is sleep. Oh. When you sleep, your body does everything it needs to do. It heals, your hormones go you know, into balance, your immune system strengthens, you rest, your everything that is supposed to happen, happens. And the thing is, we're the only species on earth that's, that purposely deprives themselves of sleep. No other animal, you find that you know, a lion, a monkey, no other animal keeps themselves awake when they're tired, they sleep. Whereas we will stay awake, you know, drink coffee, watch TV, do emails, go on your phone, even though you're like, I'm so tired. How many times do you say, I'm gonna go to bed early tonight, I'm so tired. By the time it gets to bedtime, oh, just stay up another hour. Yeah. So I know we all do it, and I used to do it. And I was like, then I started the power hour and was like, wow, I can't be going to bed late if I'm getting up at half five. Yeah. So I started going to bed early, and honestly, it was like a magic potion where every morning I'm like, I've got energy, I'm in a good mood, I'm productive, I'm creative. And it's just because I've actually had enough sleep. And seriously, like injury prevention, so many people start going to bed early, you're running, you're gonna get faster, you're gonna enjoy running more, and you're less likely to get injured. Okay, well there you go guys. So if you are listening to this on a Sunday night. Get to bed. <laughs> get to bed. If you are listening to this bright and early on a Monday morning, I hope you had a good night's sleep last night. Yeah. Um, for everyone who wants to continue to follow your running journey or just catch up with you, where's the best place? So the podcast, as we talked about, is called The Power Hour. You can find it on iTunes and Spotify. And my Instagram is Adrienne for London. Woohoo! Yes. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing what was such an insightful journey and just being so honest about the ups and downs and the learnings along the way. Yeah. And also just for being such a beacon of positivity. Oh, thanks, Amy. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Welfare, your guide to conquering 26.2. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do take 30 seconds to rate and review us on iTunes. It really does make all the difference and I and the team read absolutely everything you write, which means the world to us. New episodes will be released every Sunday on all the usual podcast platforms, so please do subscribe and never miss a notification. Until then, thanks again to all of you for listening and supporting us and thanks to Mags Creative, the producers of this show.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 